Hello, everyone, and welcome to Consumer Watchdog's Rage for Justice Report, our weekly podcast where we discuss the important topics of the day and the current issues that we're exposing, confronting, and changing. I'm your host, Carmen Balber, Executive Director of Consumer Watchdog, and my guests this week are here to talk about a lawsuit Consumer Watchdog filed this past Tuesday on World AIDS Day to challenge a doctor and a medical group's discrimination in refusing to treat an HIV-positive patient. Uh, with us to talk about the case is uh, Consumer Watchdog staff attorney Danny Sternberg. Welcome, Danny. Thanks, Carmen. Happy to be here. Thank you. And Justin Smith, uh, who is the plaintiff in our suit. Thanks for joining us, Justin. Thank you for having me. So um, let me start with just the basics. Danny, why don't you tell us about the case and uh, what we hope to achieve with it? Sure. Um, so a, a cardinal rule from the Supreme Court going back 20, 30 years is that blanket refusals to provide medical care on the basis of an individual's disability is illegal under federal civil rights laws. So in practice, as a result, doctors, nurses, and other healthcare professionals, they have a, a legal duty to take into consideration the medical facts of the patient before them. So objective medical evidence not stereotypes, not assumptions, and it's the, the, this, medical, uh, this medical evidence that the doctor and healthcare professional must rely on to make their determination about whether surgery or other medical care is safe to be performed on that patient. But that's just simply not what happened here, and that's why Consumer Watchdog and our co-counsel, Teresa Barta, have brought this suit on uh, Mr. Smith's behalf. And so just a uh, with that foundation, just kind of big picture to talk about what actually happened to Justin that day. Um, this past April, Justin had a consultation with Dr. Patel of Orthopedic Specialty Institute over in Orange County for a routine hip replacement surgery. And Dr. Patel, he agreed to perform this hip replacement surgery on Justin, but then later he refused to do the procedure once he learned that Justin was living with HIV. So during what was supposed to be Justin's last visit with Dr. Patel before the surgery, Dr. Patel was, was, was reviewing uh, Justin's preoperative physical exam. So just kind of the standard last step in the last box to check in the process before surgery is completed. And this pre-op physical, it included a lengthy review of Justin's medical history, including that during the three-decade-long period since Justin's diagnosis with HIV, Justin has never had any health issues related to having HIV, and this pre-op physical cleared Justin for surgery. But nonetheless, like practically immediately after becoming aware of Justin's HIV status, Dr. Patel, Dr. Patel he decided that Justin was immunocompromised, which just simply is not medically true. And Dr. Patel, on that basis, um, apparently, he refused to perform the surgery on Justin. And in light of those legal requirements that I was alluding to earlier, Dr. Patel, he failed to do his legal duty of conducting an individualized assessment. He didn't consult with Justin's primary care physician, for example, who would have confirmed that Justin's not immunocompromised and was absolutely fine for surgery. So just kind of the last piece is that there, there really was no bona fide reason for refusing to do the surgery. And as we allege in the complaint, Dr. Patel clearly did not rely on Justin's medical history and health when he refused to perform the surgery. 
Well, thanks, Danny. I mean, to me, that sounds like uh, a, what I would think would be a flash from the past, the kind of fear and stigma and prejudgment that you saw at the height of the AIDS epidemic, um, but should uh, shouldn't have been around today, then, but certainly shouldn't be around now. So maybe um, we come to you now, Justin, because this is ultimately about what you experienced when you went in for that uh, office visit for what you thought was a simple final pre-op appointment and then were instead hit with this decision. Um, you want to tell us about that, uh, about that conversation? Um, that conversation was probably one of the most disturbing incidents of my life. And um, there is no exaggeration in that. Uh, Danny gave a very good account of it, um, very accurate account of it, certainly. Um, I, was, I was floored um, that uh, Dr. Patel would not um, perform the surgery and, if I may, became what seemed to me to be very unreasonable about it by not being willing to speak to my primary physician, whom I've seen for years, um, or even being willing to look into my personal medical records, which would also indicate that I have been undetectable um, since uh, 2000 uh, when I began taking medication. Um, so as Danny said, I've never had any medical issues or health-related issues as a result of being HIV positive. But to him, that was irrelevant. Um, as far as he was concerned, I was HIV positive, therefore I was immunosuppressed. Unfortunately, Dr. Patel took that even a step further by writing in his report that I was a risk to the staff. Uh, so your comment of this behavior and this incident hearkening back to the dates and, and panic of the AIDS epidemic is absolutely on the mark um, because that's how I felt. Um, even though at that time my status had not been revealed publicly, I had never felt discriminated against to such an extreme, either because of my status or for even being gay. Um, and to have that happen in a place, a doctor's office, that should be the most secure um, and uh, does the most secure place that we can go where we have that doctor client privilege the same way we do with our attorney um, and to have that violated and to literally be told I'm not performing any surgery on you and you're not going to get the surgery until this is all over meaning COVID. So at that point my hip was in um, the position of collapsing in the near future. I was not able to walk for more than five minutes. I was in constant pain. So not knowing even then in May that it would be going on all this time, I can tell you right now at this time, and I would have been for the past few months, I would be confined to a wheelchair right now um, because of the way that th this COVID uh, situation has gone on. Uh, doctor, if it were up to Dr. Patel, I still wouldn't have received the surgery. And it really, it, it, put, it shines a fine light on, I mean, what it means to live as an HIV positive person in 2020 that um, you uh, would, would hope and expect those fears and stigmas were long behind us. But 
to see it rear up in the doctor's office is just so incredibly shocking. Um, what brought you, what made you decide to bring some? Um, first, because one, on a personal note, there was, uh, that I could not let that pass. Um, one, I lost a great many friends uh, and a partner to AIDS during the epidemic. Um, and it would be an insult, in my opinion, to them and anybody else that lost their life to AIDS to let this man um, accomplish uh, this form of discrimination. The only real w a way that I could add my weight to this was to be public about it. Uh, and Danny will confirm that this was almost a last minute decision for me uh, just before the case was filed. Um, and to say that the only way that this really um, is going to stick is to get the attention that it needs is if I put my name on it. Um, when I look at this from a 20,000 foot perspective, um, there's more to be gained by being public about it. I am a white upper middle class male. I've got great insurance. Um, and uh, if this is happening to me, it is happening to other people. And it's certainly happening to people of lesser so socioeconomic levels. And it's happening in minority communities that are even more, uh, that ha have a greater impact of HIV infection. And so uh, it's to br uh, bring light to the stigma, not just for me, but for all of these people that need some sort of assistance. Right. Well, perhaps it is worth repeating, uh, even though we feel like it's so obvious that we don't need to say it, but it's worth repeating that there was no danger to the doctor or his staff from treating you. And there None is no danger to anyone else. None at all. Um, because when you are undetectable, the tests that they have now, the blood tests that they have, um, are so uh, advanced. Um, essentially, what it's saying is that the virus cannot be found in your blood. In the surgical setting, the risk of transmission is even less. For decades, doctors have employed universal precautions and made reasonable modifications to avoid excluding folks living with HIV from the medical care that they need. And in fact, just a few, I believe, two weeks after Dr. Patel's discriminatory treatment of Justin, Justin was able to go to Cedar sinai Hospital, where he was able to receive an individualized assessment as required by the law, and a doctor shortly thereafter successfully performed hip replacement surgery on Justin. Right. Well, there's one maybe other aspect of the discrimination that before we end, I want to ask you about, Danny, which is um, uh, the idea uh, that we may be entering another era with the huge surge in coronavirus infections of care rationing and limitations and decisions on who gets care and when they get it. And so maybe you can talk just briefly about um, the uh, aspects of state and federal anti-discrimination law for people with pre-existing conditions and when doctors can and can't decide whether to treat someone. 
So in, in the very early days of the pandemic, so going back to April, uh, the Office of Civil Rights with at the uh, the Federal Health and Human Services Agency made it crystal clear. They issued a guidance, nationwide guidance to federal recipients for to recipients of federal financial dollars that notwithstanding the pandemic, civil rights laws remain in effect. So these in, these requirements to conduct individualized assessments are still in place. Um, and here we are um, months later in December and the prospect of shortages of medical staff and equipment for treating those that are severely ill by COVID-19, we're having these same these conversations again about having to ration medical care. And what's important to remember is um, just historically, individuals with disabilities and individuals with pre-existing medical conditions have been excluded from the health care that they often need on the basis of those. And the Affordable Care Act and these other civil rights statutes are meant to put a stop to that. And as we continue to, to battle the pandemic, it's, it's important to just continuously remind individuals of their rights and to remind healthcare professionals of their responsibilities that persons with disabilities cannot and should not be denied medical care on the basis of stereotypes, the assessments of the quality of their life, or judgments about the person's relative worth. Um, these decisions about providing medical care have to be based on objective medical evidence. And, and as our complaint makes clear, um, that's, a, that's a problem that still is needing to be fought to this day. Well, uh, thanks, Danny, so much. And uh, thanks, Justin, uh, for joining us on the podcast today and for, for your courage in coming forward to bring this suit and take on this fight. Thank you very much. I appreciate uh, that on both accounts. We'll uh, bring you both back uh, for updates on the case. Uh, we want to know where this goes um, and how uh, this, this group is held accountable. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening to the podcast. As always, don't forget to subscribe wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. And you can learn more about the case at consumerwatchdog.org. I'm Carmen Balber, and this has been the Rage for Justice Report. <laughs>